Now I want you to picture this for me. There you are, you and uh, your comrades. In the warmth of the morning sun, you guys have been assigned to head over to the next village. You know the enemy's been in the area, so you walk cautiously, watching your every step. Nobody's making any extra noise. Everyone is focused. Life is hanging in the balance. And then it happens. You hear the click of death. You step on a landmine. It's a pressure release mine, so once you remove your weight, it'll detonate, killing yourself and anyone near you. So you go, freeze! Everybody freeze! Your whole company stops where they're at. You say, I've stepped on a mine. As you look to the people around you, they're slowly and carefully retracing their steps backwards, moving away from you. That's when the tensions begin to rise. You start wondering yourself, can you defuse it? Can you disarm this thing? Can you replace your body weight with something else? Is this how it's going to end for you? How in the world are you going to get out of this terrible situation? Now, well, the average person has probably never found themselves walking into a minefield. That situation sounds all too familiar for us, doesn't it? You're talking with somebody, you know them, and you know there's some topics that you typically try to avoid in conversation with them. And as you're working through a conversation, comes up. They bring up that touchy subject, that awkward conversation, that sensitive topic, and you are afraid that things are going to uh, blow up, and you start to wonder, how can I get out of this? How can I diffuse this situation? Can I change the topic? What if I would have said that differently? What if I would have gone a different direction with this conversation? Is our relationship going to stay intact? Are they still going to like me? How far is this conversation going to go? And all this anxiety and this rush of confusion comes over you, and you're like, what in the world is going to happen here? And you just wish that you could go back and change or even avoid the whole conversation to begin with. So this morning, we're going to be kicking off a new series called Landmines, where we'll spend a few weeks talking about some different explosive topics in our culture today and looking to address what the Bible has to say about it. That could be an intimidating thing, it's probably more intimidating for your preachers than it's going to be for you guys. But it shouldn't be an intimidation. It should be hopeful. These are topics that you've probably talked to people about as you uh, met the grocery store or the gas station. Topics you've probably had conversations over the lunch table at work. You're familiar with them. And you're familiar probably with what a good deal of scripture has to say. But we're going to spend some weeks uh, coming up and we're going to dive deep into a number of these different hot topics these landmines of culture today and really dive into scripture and say, what is it that God teaches about these things? So that as a church, we can speak with boldness and confidence, knowing what our Lord has taught, what the truth is, and we can have firm convictions. This morning, we're not going to actually dive into a particular topic. We're going to actually just kind of define what these landmines are. We're going to spend a little bit of time talking about the the destruction that they can bring, and then uh, look at a couple principles of how we can disarm them. Uh, so that's kind of where we're going to be this morning. I want to invite you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Uh, we're going to be in this uh, passage, verses just 3 and 5, uh, where Paul, in, in this uh, context, he's kind of giving a defense for his faith. And he's been accused, apparently, as you, as you read uh, the letter, that his ministry, they're walking in the flesh. They're 
waging spiritual warfare according to the flesh. And so Paul is defending himself and talking about the importance of the spiritual warfare that's going on, the importance of uh, the weapons that God has given us in, in the divine uh, to handle some of these things, and the importance of mastering our minds. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dive right into a, a definition, and then we'll move uh, quickly through our message this morning. But would you go to the Lord in prayer with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word that you have given us teaching. That despite the confusion that comes from the world around us, the many different teachings, the ideas that uh, culture may bring, and different ideologies or religions or uh, you name it, it can be so confusing. And in today's world with the, the plethora of information that we have before us so readily accessible, it's hard at times to uh, discern what's true and what's not. So Lord, over the next few weeks, especially this morning as we start this series uh, called Landmines. Lord, I pray that we would uh, not be filled with fear, not be filled with a, a spirit of timidity, but Lord, of power, of love, of confidence, God, that you have spoken on these things, that your word has something to say, that as believers we can have confidence in you and what you've said, that your word is truth, that we can rely on it fully. Lord, I pray that this morning as we kick this off, that you would just speak clearly through me, that I'd be an instrument for you, that your words would be communicated clearly, truthfully, that anything that I would have to say that is not from you would be forgotten, and that wouldn't even come out of my mouth. Lord, I pray that you'd be glorified in the moments to come. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Landmines. Landmines sounds really scary, um, but to lay a, a definition down for you, you got a, a couple spaces, I believe, in your outline, so we'll work through this one slowly. The definition that the church is going to be working off of for landmines is, is that landmines are subjects and topics in our life and the world that tend to be explosive in nature. And when they explode, they often hurt people and create chaos. In order to address these issues and topics, it requires a steady heart and sound mind to disarm them. Landmines are subjects and topics in our life and world that tend to be explosive in nature. When they explode, they often hurt people and create chaos. In order to address these issues and topics, it requires a steady heart and sound mind to disarm them. These are topics that are super familiar to people. It's not like these are just churchy topics that you talk about you know, within these walls. These are topics that are very relevant to everybody in our culture. Things that are, our culture is fighting for and, and oftentimes fighting against what Scripture has to teach. And we're going to see why even this morning. So they're a big deal. These are a great opportunity for us to equip ourselves to engage with our culture, to engage with our communities, to engage with the people we do life with, that we talk to at the gas station, the people that we work with, the people that uh, we would call family. It's a great opportunity to speak truth, to break down barriers, and to have honest conversations. Some examples of these topics are, you know, sexuality. It's a huge one today, right? Not just uh, sexuality in terms of what gender do I, do I identify with, how big is that, that they're moving towards what? Letting people wait till they're of age to decide which gender they are. But sexuality in, in terms of gender issues as well, you know, are we attracted homosexual, are we heterosexual, are we bisexual? That's a big topic in our culture today. It's something that they're, they're pressing heavily. We have politics, right? The constant battle. Democrat, Republican, who's right, who's wrong? Well, we're all, they're all wrong to some degree, right? They're, nothing is a proven system. 
We have the topics of abortion or racism. We have religion. Is it true that there's only one way to God? Is it true there's only one way to heaven? Or do all religions just kind of work together and get you there? You know, you do you. You believe what you want to believe. I'll believe what I want to believe. And we'll just all be happy. We'll just coexist together and it'll be fine. These are huge topics that our world is trying to address. And they're pushing the agenda. And the reality is, is we have teaching from our God in his word about these things. So over the coming weeks, those are some of the topics we're going to work on talking about. And we're going to look straight to Scripture as our final authority. Not the culture around us, not the pressures from the world around us, but the Scripture itself. And say, God, we ask that you would just teach us what is, it, uh, what is it that you say about these different topics. And it's going to be, I think it's going to be a journey. And I hope that you guys are excited about it. And uh, I would encourage you to come into it with an open heart and just see what it is that God can teach you. How are you going to grow? What understanding are you going to develop stretch yourself in? How are you going to be able to use this series as a tool to engage those people around you? So I really want you to engage uh, with it. So let's start things off this morning. We just have two points uh, this morning, but each point has a couple little sub-points that's going to kind of go under on cheating, if you will, uh, packing more into uh, just a little bit. So the first thing we're going to look at is the destruction that these landmines cause, the destruction that they cause. And, you know, the term landmine itself should tell us something. We think of a landmine, you think of an explosion. Explosions don't bring order, they only bring chaos and destruction, right? And so these landmines, these heavy topics, these explosive topics of our culture, when unchecked or handled improperly, can leave a great deal of destruction behind. So as believers, we need to learn and be equipped to handle them appropriately so that we might avoid some of this destruction. The first uh, area of destruction I'd like to look at is the confusion for the individual. Confusion for the individual. You don't have to look farther than Genesis chapter 3 to see the confusion that's caused to Eve when the serpent approaches her in the garden, right? God had given a clear command to Adam and Eve, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what happened is the serpent, all crafty and wicked as he was, slithering and hissing all about, uh, he came over to Eve and he challenged her. He challenged her mind. He challenged her teaching. Did God really say? Was it really true? He challenges what she knew. She cha he challenged what she'd been taught. And I'm not putting this on Eve, right? The, the scriptures give Adam the blame for the sin. He was just, he's guilty. He sinned. He ate of the fruit. But we see the confusion that these landmines can bring. That was the, the first landmine of scripture, right? Don't eat of the fruit of that tree. Well, let's talk about that. Let's debate that back and forth. Let's see the validity in it. Let's, let's see if we can manipulate the truth just enough to make it something that we want it to be. Right? The first landmine in Scripture. They can cause a lot of confusion for the individual when they're left wondering, what in the world can I believe? Who's right? How can I be certain? And the sad thing really is when the church, right? Believers who claim to believe in the same God would come and teach completely different things on some of these topics. The place where you would expect people to come unified under one teaching from one God would come and teach many different things, totally different things. That can really leave people wondering, well, what in the world does the Bible really say? What do the scriptures really teach about these things? What, is, what does the Bible really say about our sexuality? What does the Bible really say about topics such as abortion? What does it really say about our, our dealings with uh, politics? How can I know 
How can I be certain? That's where we need to be Bereans and look through the scriptures and study them. The uncertainty can leave people with a, a deal of confusion and an opportunity for many people to be led astray. When you have 400 different ideas and teachings coming at you from 400 different sources and backgrounds and authorities, it can leave you questioning, well, what in the world is trustworthy? And how big of a deal is that in our culture today, right? That you have so many different things, so many different voices, so many different opinions. We live in a world of a blog, right? So many blogs, so much authority and opinion out there that, well, how do I know what in the world is true? In a culture that has promoted such relativistic teaching, there is no that there is no absolute truth, except for that there is no absolute truth. It's hard for people to discern what is true. But as a church, that's where we carry a great deal of hope. We have the truth. We have the truth that God has given us here. That we could speak boldly and confidently, not arrogantly, not out of hate, not out of disgust, not out of judgment, but out of love. Breaking down those barriers. Look with me to Second uh, Corinthians 10, starting in verse 3. Let's see what Paul has to say. He says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and take every thought captive to obey Christ. That's a that's some bold word from Paul, isn't it? We have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion that comes against the knowledge of God. Those are huge, huge words that Paul is saying. As believers, it's true for us. And that's where we have to look at our culture and be a little concerned, right? Because how easy is it to keep people from the truth when the illusion is given that truth is unattainable? That there's no such thing. And what's left is a dazed and confused uh, group of people, individuals trying to make sense of all the information and the opinions that are put before them, trying to decide for themselves what's true. What's true for you is different than what's true for me. But as believers, we know that that's not the case. There is one truth. There is an absolute. It's from God himself. We have an opportunity to engage a society of utterly useless, wandering people. Wandering in circles, trying to find answers, but never finding the truth, such as a hamster running on its, on its uh, wheel. Never getting anywhere, but only wearing itself out. If we have the truth, we have an obligation to take the truth, to speak the truth, to know the truth, to study it, and to share it with the world. So there's confusion with uh, within the individual. There's conflict with others. There's conflict with others. In Romans 16, 17, Paul, uh, Paul's appeal to the Roman believers uh, is what he says, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. He says to avoid them. These landmines, ex as explosive as they are in our culture today, so easily cause division between individuals. A husband and wife who can't see eye to eye on how to raise their kids. Can't see eye to eye on the the value of family. Can't see eye to eye on an issue. And so what do they do? They drift. And then they split. Friends who can't see eye to eye. Friends who can't agree. Family who can't agree. And they just divide. 
arguments arise. We hate each other because we can't agree with each other. And isn't that what our world says? If you can't agree with me, then you must hate me. So I must hate you. Like we, we talk about it like it's craziness. And then what happens is we turn around and, and how much do we engage in that, right? We communicate with someone and when, when disagreements come, when we butt heads a little bit, we can't seem to handle things responsibly and as mature adults. When we get irritated, our tempers begin to fly. How could they not see? How could they not understand? I'm so convinced that I'm right, and all of a sudden these divisions rise up in between us. These landmines can be dangerous when they're not handled correctly. In the church, it can cause the splits within the church, division in the church, disunity in the gospel work, the kingdom work that God's called us to. I don't see the purpose in this ministry. Why would we do it? Someone else, meanwhile, works hard, is reaching people for Christ. I don't see the purpose in that ministry. Why, why do we need to minister to moms? Why can't we just minister to everybody together? Why can't we do this? Why can't we do that? Why do we have to uh, organize things this way? And churches can become so divided on such silly little topics, let alone large landmines such as the ones we're going to talk about. Landmines can be devices of the church, and what a terrible testimony that gives to the church, isn't it? That if we can't stand unified together, why in the world would a watching uh, lost people want to be part of this? Why would they want to come be part of a church that can't stand each other? Why would they want to come be part of a church that can't agree? What kind of message does that share about the church? That's why this is our final authority, not our own opinions. We need to learn to handle these landmines appropriately so we can disarm them safely and avoid these outcomes. Lastly, the destruction growing out of the latter two devastations can result in culture wars within society. You have a bunch of confused people trying to figure out what the truth is. Divisions and relationships. The aligning of parties and groups. And, and you have large-scale divisions and wars within culture. In Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, he writes in uh, chapter 1, verse 12, What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. And Paul's response is, is Christ divided? Is Christ divided? It's dangerous to have these large-scale divisions. And we see it in our world. What kind of barriers, what kind of strongholds are built up against the gospel message when all there is is people pitted against each other as enemies? Don't you think the devil loves to see that happen? Don't you think that he just sits there and laughs at the fact that people can hate each other as enemies and yet be bonded by the same nationality? They could be neighbors but despise each other. Don't you think he just sits there and says, I've got him right where I want him. What if we as believers were to break down those strongholds? We were to unite and seek unity, not divisions. Not hatred, not separation, not pulling ourselves away, but engagement and saying, listen, we have an answer. And to share that answer in a way that's not judgmental. Not, hey, I'm going to look down on you because, oh, look at, look at what you think you know. Look at me up here. I, I have knowledge. Nothing that we have as believers comes from us, right? It comes from God. That's what Paul's a defense is. He says, listen, 
We have been given divine gifts, divine weapons. They're not weapons that you conjured up. They're not weapons that I conjured up. They're weapons and tools that God has given you to accomplish God's mission. Lots of people will quote Abraham Lincoln saying, a house divided against itself will never stand. But really, Abraham Lincoln was quoting our Savior, Jesus Christ. Isn't it true that we need unity? And let that be a challenge, that we need unity first here in the church. To be unified as believers, not just in Shabna, but believers in our the greater Chicagoland area as believers in America, as believers around the world, that we'd be unified in Christ, that we'd seek the truth of Scripture. Listen, we don't want to go out and teach this whole tolerance thing. I want to be careful that you don't think that that's what I'm saying. We're not just supposed to be tolerant people. We do believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that nobody comes to the Father except through Jesus. So what I'm not saying is go and have all these people who believe different things say, that's fine. Let me just share what I believe. We do believe that there is no other name given among men under heaven by which we must be saved in the name of Jesus Christ. We do believe that there is one way. So we are calling people from darkness into light. We are calling people from death to life. We are calling people from sin to righteousness. That is important in what we do. But we need to be careful not to build up the extra barriers along the way. Jesus is the only way. That's why we must rely on him as much as we can. So as we work through the minefield over these next few weeks, let your goal be to grow in your understanding of God's teachings on difficult and highly explosive topics for our culture. Let us keep a goal that we would be equipped to destroy strongholds that have been held on people's hearts, that they might also see the truth the gospel. See, it's not about us. It's not about our arguments. It's about Christ. That's about the advancement of his kingdom. Breaking down strongholds. Bringing unity. Secondly, we want to disarm these landmines safely. Alright? If we look at the destruction and we see that destruction in our world, we want to make sure that we can disarm these things. How do we handle it? How can we diffuse the situations And first and foremost, I I want to note that Paul addresses that spiritual warfare. We walk in the flesh. We don't wage war according to the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. There is a spiritual warfare here that we have to be aware of as we address some of these topics. The weapons that God has given us are different than the ones that the world operates with. You know the, the classic saying, don't bring a knife to a gunfight? What Paul's saying is, those who argue, those who try to deceive according to the world, who battle according to the flesh, listen, they're bringing knives to a gunfight. Okay, God has given us weapons and tools far greater than what this world has to offer. And we need to take advantage of those things. Alright, so let's look at some of the differences between the weapons. Alright, Paul tells us in our passage that The weapons of the flesh are divisive. So look with me where he says uh, that we break down strongholds. We destroy strongholds. The division that comes forth, highlighting the differences between one another. Isn't that a great way that the world tries to operate? Look at how we're different. How could you think differently than me? And we 
focus and on those differences between groups, between individuals. We can't look at the similarities. We can't uh, have respect for each other, but we only dwell on being divisive. Let's find our differences and separate ourselves there. The weapons of the world are divisive. Secondly, they're argumentative. They're driven by people with, uh, driven with pride and selfish ambition. It's about, it's about me. It's about me. For the weapons of our warfare and out of the flesh, the divine power to destroy, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion. They're argumentative. The world operates very argumentatively. They, hey, let, you know what? Let's not have a discussion about this. Let's not talk about this. Let's argue. Debate. Time for debates. Let me take my arguments, my defense, and I'm going to stand over here and I'm going to spew it at you and then the whole time that you're talking, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to think about how I can debunk everything that you're saying. We're not trying to listen and to understand and to communicate. We're not doing this in a loving way. It's about me being right, you being wrong, and that's where we land. That's how the world operates. No matter what the cost is, I have to be right. Paul also says that the weapons of the world are against God. The push for solutions and answers that leave God out of the equation. That eliminate God from the truth, that eliminate God from reason, that eliminate God from science. As if to say, if something can be believable, you have to take God out of the situation in order for it to be legit. Well, why would that make any sense at all? If you were to take a, a mom and a dad away from the situation, there's no child. If you were to take a, a teacher away from the classroom, there's no teaching. Why would you take the authority? Why would you take the power of God, the person of God, out of the situation in order to make the situation true. If God, in fact, created this whole thing we call life, this whole thing that we call earth and this universe, why would, why would we take God out of it to understand it? Wouldn't God have created it? So the whole argument of the world to, against the teachings of God doesn't work. It doesn't fly. So the divine weapons that we've been given are, are much different. They're much different. Oftentimes, Scripture, when it teaches on things, it, it has an, an, an implication, right? When it teaches one thing, it means that the opposite may be true. So you look at, uh, for example, the Ten Commandments, all right? Let's just look at a couple of those. If God says, don't lie, do you think God's just up there like, hey, you know what's going to be really bad if people lie? But what if the fact that God says don't lie is because that in God's very being, in his nature, God is truth? So don't lie because I am truth. Don't steal because God is a giver. Don't hate because God loves. Right? You see these things in Scripture. And so as Paul teaches about these uh, weapons of the flesh, the weapons of the world, where we come to an understanding that as believers we've been given weapons of love, weapons of reconciliation. Paul talks about this. That we've been given the ministry of reconciliation, therefore we must go and use it because we've been reconciled to Christ. We've been given the weapon of peace, of patience, of logic and reasoning. If the God that we serve is a true God, and the words that he speaks is truth, then the world, to rely on logic, has to rely on the principle of God, doesn't it? Because all truth, all logic comes from him. So we've been given great weapons to use that are very different than how the world operates. And we need to be careful as believers that we don't fall prey and fall trap to when the world wants to engage us with their weapons. 
that we don't lay down our guns and pick up a knife to go to the knife fight. That when they want to come and they want to argue, when they want to divide, when they want to push God out of the equation, that we don't say, all right, let me step on your battlefield. That's when we stand with the more powerful weapons that we have and say, no, 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 listen. This is what God says. I'm going to use the weapons that God's given me. I'm not going to cower back. Why would I trade the more powerful for a weaker? But do we trust the more powerful? Do we trust that the weapon of love that God's given us, the, the peace to try to bring people together, do we trust that that's really good? Do we work towards that? Is that part of our lives? Do we try to bring people together and reconcile brokenness? Reconcile broken situations? Hurt people? Do we work towards those things or do we write them off? We have been given divine weapons. I would like to add that another one is wisdom. James says that if anyone lacks wisdom, he should ask God and he will give it abundantly. God's given us a gift of wisdom. And I, it's interesting that we're starting this and I'm having the opportunity to preach on this. That last week before Easter, I'm a part of a Facebook group for church leaders and pastors. And Holy Week, a week where you think that a bunch of church leaders are going to be trying to encourage each other, equip each other, build each other up. I watched as on Facebook believers, church leaders, posted bait out there just to try to get each other aggravated. Just to try to start arguments. I tell you, it was that upset me. I'm like, really? On the week where we're supposed to be focusing on our, our Lord's death and resurrection, we're going to sit here on Facebook and argue stupidly, by the way, over these things? What are we working towards? What are we doing? What's, what is happening right now? And if that's what's happening with a bunch of church leaders and pastors, Lord knows the world's in it too. So use wisdom. Use discernment as to when as to where and as to how you will address these particular landmines. Not every time it comes up is it a winning, a beneficial conversation to have. There may be times you say, listen, this is, this is not going to be worth it, and you walk away. People are going to put bait out there to bait you and hook you into getting you angry, to getting you upset. We've had uh, protesters that would come to some of our other campuses saying that Village Bible Church is in support of abortion. And they stand out on the roads with graphic signs saying, this church is against the gospel. This church is okay with babies being killed. And they would try to engage people as they would leave the parking lot. They'd stand right at the entrance. And they'd, they'd try to engage in conversation. And they were really, really good at just making you angry. Because if they could get you caught up in your emotions, they could get you to say some really stupid stuff. And they're filming you, by the way. And their goal would be to put it online and say, look, see? See? These are Christians. You think they're believers? People are going to bait you and hook you into saying and doing stupid things over these landmines. Use wisdom. Use discernment. 
You don't just jump in and, and bear a bad witness, a bad testimony for our Savior. Know the times when you need to walk away. Know the times that's going to be beneficial. I'm just going to kind of put a blanket statement out here. Just this is Bible doesn't talk about social media. Okay, it wasn't really a thing back then. Social media probably general rule of thumb, not a good place. It is not a place where people look for truth. It's a place where people look to share their opinions. All you're going to do is fight and argue, and make a fool of yourself. Use wisdom, use discernment in how to handle these things. So, given the weapons that God has given us to engage with the world, I want to talk just about a couple different things. Uh, a couple principles that are helpful for us to remember in disarming some of these, these landmines. The first one is, you're not always right. You're not always right. We have this tendency, if we're honest, that we take the thoughts that come into our minds and we assume that they must always be true. Because they originated with us. You know? You don't think of yourself as a deceitful kind of person, so if you think this thought, well, it must be the truth. Maybe God put that thought in my head. I'm just going to rely on that thought wholeheartedly. And so we decree our thoughts as true, but let's be careful that we don't turn around and elevate ourselves to a level that we can't obtain in our own doing, right? Paul tells us in verse 5 that we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. Now, if these lofty opinions and these arguments can be destroyed, that means that there is the capability that what our thoughts are, what our opinions are, can definitely be wrong. You might be wrong. You're not always going to be right. Our opinions, our thoughts, unless they are confirmed in the true, and I'm going to add contextual words of Scripture, because if you take, you can take anything out of context in Scripture and you essentially make the Bible tell you whatever you want it to say. So you look at the words of Scripture in context, what the Bible is truly saying. If it does not affirm your opinion, then it is probably not a hill to die on. Because you could be wrong. So unless the Bible clearly teaches on it, in which case, you stand on that hill. You don't ever get off that hill. You fight to the death on that hill. Because it's the truth of Scripture. But unless there's true, clear teaching of it in Scripture, recognize that you could be wrong. No matter how convinced you are that you're right, and the other person's wrong, you have the potential of being wrong. A couple things that the Bible says about our minds, unless we think too highly of them, um, in Job chapter 17, verse 4, it says that our minds are closed off to understanding. They're closed off to understanding. In 1 Timothy 6, 5, it's, we're told that our minds are depraved. In Jeremiah 17, 9, it says that our minds are deceitful and sick. Who can understand it? That's what the Bible says about our mind, our heart, how we think and operate, how we feel about things. So be careful. That's why Paul says you need to take captive every thought and bring it into obedience to Christ. Because you could be wrong. So don't just take a thought that comes in your head and say, this must be true. And it's no wonder that Paul would say in Romans 12, 12, he talks about the renewal of our minds, right? As believers, we've been given a new mind, that we can see the truth, we can understand the truth, that the world is blinded to. But it's not a perfect mind yet, right? Not yet. Not yet, someday. But right now, we need to continue to bring things into subjection to Christ. Remember that you're not always right. Secondly, 
our minds are even rebellious. Paul tells us in the passage this morning that we must seize every thought, bring it into obedience to Christ. That means our natural minds, what he's saying is they have a tendency to rebel. Okay? They have a tendency to not obey Christ. This is the highest authority that we ought to have. We're going to rebel. We're going to seek our own glory. We're going to seek uh, to deny Jesus, to rely on our own estimations, our own plans instead of his. We're going to have a tendency to ignore the warnings of God. And so left unchecked, the Bible tells us in Romans 8, 7, that our minds are hostile towards God. Check it out. Paul wrote, For the mind that is set in the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Okay, so that's, that's our minds. Our minds can be rebellious. And when they become bent on any goal or any aspiration that's away from God's will, they begin to act in opposition to God. When it's outside of God's will, when it's outside of seeking the glory, the honor, and the praise of God, we begin to act on our own behalf. We begin to act on the behalf of people rather than God. And we need to be careful about those things. And whether uh, we recognize it or not, I think this definitely happens more often than we believe. It happens when we simply want to prove our own intelligence. You want to engage in a conversation to prove how smart you are. That you've got the answers, you've got the arguments, you've done your homework. You want to prove that. It happens when you want to measure up to someone else or put your uh, put yourself above the mission that God's called us to, kingdom advancement. When we take the stage, as subtly as it may be, instead of God, we need to be cautious. Just like uh, if you've ever been to a conference somewhere, someone comes up and introduces a speaker. I remember the very first time that I uh, was preaching out here, Phil gave an introduction for me. He came up and he talked about me from when I was in high school, all right, and uh, my basketball accolades and all this stuff, right? Well, Phil's goal in, in doing that, or the job of anybody who's introducing a speaker, is not to come and show off how smart they are. Look at all the facts that I know. They're there to introduce you to the person. right? So we need to be careful that we don't take that center stage as people who are to introduce others to Christ, that we would come and say, look, at, look it's about me. Look at all the facts that I know about Jesus. Look at how much I've studied the Bible. Look at how much scripture I have memorized. You know, take, give me a pat on the back at the, at the very least. It needs to be that we get up there and we share about Christ. Just as the person will come up and share professional accomplishments, they'll share academic uh, degrees, share information about someone's family. Not to boast of themselves, but to boast of that person. So as we handle the landmines in life, it's not so much that we can come and say, look at the arguments that I've got. Look at all the homework that I've done. I could, I could talk in circles around you, but it's to point people to Christ. It's not you. It's not about you. It's never been about you. It's always been about Christ. So be careful to not subtly or blatantly take center stage when that's not your spot. Your job is to introduce. Don't try to do anything about your pay grade. That's what God's called us to. So, the last one is, uh, we also have just one ruler. We have one ruler. Paul reminds us that uh, we need to bring things into obedience to Christ. We bring it into obedience to Christ. The word to, for obedience there is uh, hupakoa in the, in the Greek, meaning to comply or be submissive to something. So we are then to submit ourselves, submit our thoughts, submit our opinions to Christ. That we would bring it under his authority. Because he is our final ruler. It requires a great deal of humility to admit that at times you're wrong. 
to admit that at times you're not fully there yet. It brings a great deal of humility. See, we don't belong just to a political party. We don't just belong to a denomination. We don't belong just to a nation, but we do belong to Christ. He is our ruler above all else. We submit to him. So what we've learned throughout the course of history is that all these other things that we can belong to who have authority and leadership over us are, are fallen. They're failed. Political parties don't satisfy our deepest needs as humans. They pit each other against each other, creating enemies, Democrat to Republican, or you name it, across around the world. They're, they're broken. They're flawed. Denominations, even of churches, can fail us. We've seen the moral decline of the Catholic Church. We've seen countless denominations hiding the grotesque sins of their leaders. We've seen entire denominations forsake the authority of Scripture to go on and uh, seek cultural relevance. Denominations can fail us. We can't just stand in, in the authority of that. They are broken. Nations have risen and fallen. Great civilizations of the past have brought both good and bad, just as the world powers of today do. There's no truly good nation in the world because we know that every nation is made up of a bunch of people that we know are sinners, which means they're broken, which means it's never going to be a final authority. It is broken. It's flawed. We belong to Jesus, who purchased us with his blood on the cross, who gave of himself, who rose again as we celebrated last Sunday, victorious over death, victorious over sin, that we might have life, that we might have victory. We belong to him. He's our final authority. So what he says ought to go. What he says does go. But will you live in submission to it? Will you submit your thoughts? Will you submit your opinions? And as we talk about these different topics over the next few weeks, there are going to be things that, that you may have an understanding on that when we address scripture, it might rub your understanding a little bit the wrong way. Like, wait a minute, that's not what I thought. You might, your opinions or your convictions may be confronted by Scripture. And that's going to be a time where you have to have that come to Jesus moment and say, all right, maybe I've grown up with this conviction my entire life. And now I'm seeing that Scripture is teaching me clearly something else. In that moment, are you willing to submit yourself to Christ? To obey what His teaching is? Not what your parents or your grandparents or whoever raised you, but to Christ Himself. And that's a big deal, I understand. But that's what we're called to as believers. With Christ as our King, as our Savior, we wage war not with the weapons of the flesh, but the weapons that are divine. The weapons that God has given us to accomplish His work. So humble yourself. Fight the good fight. Use the weapons that God has given you. Be a great witness for Christ. Be patient with those who are lost. Plead with them. Never stop in your quest for the truth. Search the scriptures. Study the scriptures. Share the scriptures. Speak the truth in love, in grace, in mercy. That God, using us, he might call more sinners to salvation. That they might see the truth. They might see the goodness of the gospel and be saved. Let's tear down those strongholds. Let's break the barriers. Let's advance the kingdom of God.